We sleep in trunks. Later that day, after Papa's arrest, Madame Dupont, a client of my parents, takes Henriette and me to her house. We turn at the corner, at the Salvation Army Women's Shelter, and we walk and walk and walk, very fast. I don't even have time to look at what we are passing so that I can remember the way. I pray that we stop soon. Number 23, exclaims Henriette. Shh, says the lady, adding, someone might recognize you. That's why I didn't take your mother. We have to take precautions and be very careful because of the arrests. We go up to the third floor and we have something to eat with the lady and her husband. Before we go to bed, she tells us, you're going to sleep in trunks. If someone comes to the door, I'll close the lids and push them under our bed. Do you understand? Because if the police find you, they will take you away. Okay? Good night, children. She goes back to her husband, who's already snoring. Soon she's snoring too. It would be better if Mama were here. I can't sleep. I stretch and get up, and my sister and I tiptoe to the window. It's dark out, but we can see the blue sign of the municipal showers almost right across the street. There, do you see that? We're in Rue Jules Vallée, near home. Rue de Charon is at the end, whispers Henriette. If they're not nice to us, we'll run away without telling anyone. I change positions ten times before managing to fall asleep. The next day, we try to leave, but the people grab us by our coat collars and stop us. They scold us, saying, honestly, children. It's dangerous now, and we have to be patient and wait. We spend three days playing with their cats before we finally return home. In the rain. Mama found a place for us with a kind lady in the country. I eat well and drink as much milk as I want, and the cat lets you pet it. We take turns on the swing under the tree in the yard. The lady never gets angry. When she has a minute, she talks to us. Mademoiselle Aubertin, our violin teacher, came this morning with a parcel full of our clothes from Mama. The weather is getting cold. The lady writes to Mama to ask for warmer clothes for us, but it's the concierge who answers. Dear Madame, did you know that you do not have the right to keep Jewish children in your home? It is against the law. If you do not return them immediately, I will be forced to report you to the police. It is up to you not to be complicit. Madame de Cunier. What should I do? The lady asks, wiping away tears. She reads us the letter. I could be convicted because you're in my house. I really don't have a choice. She gets her bicycle out. With Henriette's help, she puts our clothes in the suitcase, which she attaches to the baggage carrier on the back. She picks up everything else that belongs to us, making sure not to forget anything. She puts it all in a cardboard box, which she places on the handlebars. Wearing our raincoats, we climb on. It's uncomfortable. 
I can't do any better, she says, sitting in the middle. The weather is bad, and she pedals hard in the wind and the rain and the darkness, oblivious to the late hour. It's fine with me. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm going back to Mama. We don't meet a single person on the road the whole way. My hands are wet through my gloves, and my feet are soaked to the bone. We get to Paris at sunrise. I'm delighted to be back. Well, we'll soon be at your house, says the woman out of breath. I can't wait to get there. I can hardly keep my eyes open. We stop. Here we are. The concierge is not at her window. Good. Everyone is sleeping. We knock on the door, and in seconds, my mother is there, taking me, dripping into her arms. Oh, I'm so happy. The woman doesn't come up. She inflates her tires with the pump and heads off down the street. That's the last I ever see of her. The Courtyard of Number 99. Helene is at her piano practicing. The concierge is watching what's happening from her window. Before putting our garbage cans in the street, she rummages through them and takes whatever she finds, even though my mother passes on our old clothes to her children and sometimes even gives her food. She's so nosy that Mama gets angry. She wants to know where our mail comes from and who sent it. The Maillards on the fifth floor have a daughter whose name is also Henriette. She's very nice. We don't see them often. At nightfall, Monsieur Maillard takes their bucket down to the toilet in the courtyard. When it overflows, he yells for the concierge's husband, Léon, come, unplug the crapper. But Léon takes his time getting dressed, swearing rudely. The Polaris from the fourth floor do the same as Madame Weinstein, the tenant on the third. They knock on his door, shouting, please. Sometimes it smells so bad, I have to hold my nose. On Sunday morning, the plant is closed, and so are the stores, except for Madame Hortense's cafe, which is closed on Monday. All kinds of people go there, even Germans, and women wearing a lot of makeup and not a lot of clothes. I can see them from our house, from the bedroom. I listen to them sometimes. <laughs> They're funny. There are the drunks she throws out when she's in a bad mood, shouting, go, sleep it off somewhere. They say a lot of silly things in Madame's cafe. There are also elegant men wearing hats and gloves like Papa. Mama gives them parcels to take to Drancy. After that, we don't see them again, and we find out that my father never received the parcels. The big parcels we give to Madame Moirot, a client of my parents, or to Madame Graziani. Unfortunately, Drancy is not in Paris. Papa needs his cologne to wash, and dry sausage, and tins of sardines so he won't die of hunger, and cotton pads and aspirins for his head. Mama is always worrying. Hopscotch. We're playing hopscotch on the sidewalk, in a spot where Mama can see us. We have plenty of chalk and pencils in the house. 
I trace the lines, and Henriette writes the numbers and names. Naturally, she's the one who decides. We use an empty candy tin as a marker. We throw it and hop on one foot, pushing the marker along as we move from one square to the next. We go up to home to squares seven and eight, and there, with our legs apart, we turn around quickly and go back the other way to square one. And then to start, which is the only square where you're allowed to rest with both feet together. Then we start again, following the numbers. If you step on a line or if you fall, you lose. But we keep on playing. We start again and try to win next time. We have a lot of fun together when we want to. Germans on my street. Left, right, left. I run as fast as I can and stand just inside the carriage entrance. German soldiers are marching by. It's the war. Some of them aren't looking at anything, and some are looking all around them. One of them smiles at me, but I keep away from him. Left, right, left. The soldiers lift their feet like puppets. Their boots shine in the sun, and their steps reverberate in my ears. Left, right, left. It makes my stomach rumble, and I hurry back into the house. Dirty Jews. Now that Papa's gone, things are terrible. Henriette gets angry all the time. Georgette comes less often. And Mama doesn't listen to me the way she used to. Chouquette misses her master. When I take her out for a pee, I feel like I'm being watched. Everyone gets on my nerves. I walk her when there's nobody around. Someone has scribbled dirty Jews on both our metal shutter and the Bidders. We've heard that the Jews we know have had their telephones and radios confiscated. I'll never let them take the upstairs one, Mama says. The next day, she opens the door of the store to a uniformed employee of the Post Telegraph et Telephone. He cuts the telephone wires in spite of her pleas. How will I contact my clients? At least leave me the one in the apartment. He remains deaf to her pleas. He fills out his papers, puts one of them on the desk and leaves the shop with the telephone under his arm, saying, Now let's go up to the second floor. I go up the stairs fearfully on tiptoes and hide at the edge of the kitchen. The employee is in the living room with Mama. I approach them quietly, unnoticed. He does the same thing with the upstairs phone and puts the two telephones in his big bag and throws it over his shoulder. This is really not funny. He smiles, saying, you may as well close your business. The Jews are going away, as you know. And he leaves, taking our telephones away with him. Mama is crying, her tears falling on the paperwork he gave her. She hasn't locked the door. I'm thinking that I won't be able to call Auntie anymore, or Uncle, or answer on the fourth ring. Everything is awful now. In his last letter, Papa said he hadn't received her parcels, not even the ones brought by our friends who hadn't been allowed to see him.
Where did they go? Why is Papa staying there? I don't understand. Sitting on the step, Mama moans. Oy vez mir, oy vez mir. Then she suddenly stands up and says, I'm going to the cafe. I'll use their phone to let people know what has happened. Come with me. I answer, I don't want to. I don't like the drunks. I'd rather stay here. She locks the door to the shop, goes out the back, and runs to the neighbors. I hate this silence. I can't stand it anymore. I climb heavily up to the landing, cross the big empty room, and stand at the window between the half-open shutters. A woman stops in front of our store. She tries the door, but it's locked. She backs away a little, looks up and shouts, Is anyone there? I make myself as small as possible. She repeats, Is anyone there? The whole street is going to know that Mama isn't here. Madame Elias, she shouts. I take a deep breath, lean carefully over the window ledge and answer, pointing my finger. She's next door, over there. Be careful you don't fall, she says. Then she looks at herself in our mirror, fixes her hair, puts on some lipstick, and walks into the bistro. I go listen to the radio. Madame Graziani has promised to get Papa freed, and it shouldn't be long. We mustn't worry. Soon after they take the phone away, she comes to visit. Her arms full of parcels, she gives the biggest one to Henriette. It's for the two of you, she says. My sister smiles and then tears off the wrapping. It's a grocery store set with a scale and weights and a cash register filled with pretend bills. There are cans of food and shelves with bottles of wine and milk and jars of jam and vegetables and fruit. There's even a counter with a drawer. Everything is miniature. We'll be able to play store. So, do you like it? asks our generous friend. We thank her very much and give her a kiss. That's not all. I have a surprise for Marguerite, she adds with her usual cheerfulness. I open the parcel feverishly. It's a blue telephone, brand new, with a nice ringer. Look at this. When you pick up, it makes a click, she explains. Now you talk. I shout. Hello? Do you hear me? I can hear you. You don't need to yell. You dial VOL 2140 and wait. Do you understand? Yes, but what if there's no one at the other end of the line? She reacts with mock indignation, then demonstrates. Watch me. Hello? Yes? Hello, Uncle. How are you? I have a new telephone. I can say what I want to whoever I want, when I want, as long as I want. <laughs> it's yours, little one. All yours. And if anyone tries to take it away from you, they'll have to answer to me. I throw my arms around her neck and hug her with all my strength. I'm going to call my father right away.
she says to my sister. You have to let her. And then to both of us. Now I'm going to talk to your mama. Have fun. Don't fight. I'll see you later. I dial our number. V-O-L-2140. Hello, Papa. I am happy. After the telephones, they take away our radio. I watch the man unplug it and remove it, ignoring me while I sit there crying. Why take it from us? We pass the time listening to my sister read the newspaper while Mama works and smokes her galoises and her troops. She has a cloud of smoke around her all day long. We've moved everything around in the apartment because of our neighbor. Madame Bosch is old, and she's meaner than the Bosch. Every time Mama uses the sewing machine, she bangs on the wall with her wooden leg. The corner where we used to sleep is now the workshop. The downstairs is closed, and we're not allowed to go there anymore. Uncle moved the furniture from the dining room to the living room. He put nice wallpaper with roses on it around the beds in our new bedroom. I rest there and play store. The room is smaller, but it's above our shop, and there's less noise than above the bistro. If only I could listen to the radio. The tailor and the shoemaker have gone away. Papa hasn't come back. I can't stand this. The Black Market At nightfall, the traveling grocer comes on his tricycle to deliver the things we ordered the week before. He's nice to us when we give him money. Our old customers bring us their furs to repair very late at night. This is called the Black Market. We aren't supposed to talk about it. Andre, the worker we had before the Germans came, also brings work for our mother. He arrives very early in the morning and picks up the finished work the next day. Mama only stops to eat and sleep. She doesn't have time to talk or laugh with us. No more funny stories for us to listen to. No more news to discuss. No more romantic songs. No more music, except the violin. I'm a bird in a cage. I can be a perfect angel, but there's nobody to praise me for it anymore. But Papa is going to come back. Madame Graziani says so. He should be back before my birthday, I tell my dolls. Oh, if only they could talk. December 4th, 1941. I turn five. The first star is shining in a huge, dark sky. It's the last chance for Papa to come before the end of the day. I wait with my nose against the icy window in the kitchen. I'm losing hope that he'll come tonight. In the courtyard, night has fallen. But when I see the silhouette of a man moving slowly outside, I tremble with joy. Henriette is reading the news out loud to Mama, who's finishing the merchandise she has to deliver to the mean managing commissioner. In the dim light of the workshop, I get a better view of the man passing by. I'm terribly disappointed. It's an old man holding a package tied with a ribbon. 
but he seems to be looking for something. When he reaches our door, he knocks. One knock, two knocks, three knocks. I tiptoe to the landing. He keeps knocking. We're reluctant to open the door. Just because it's the war doesn't mean you have to alert the whole city. Mama mumbles and finally decides to open the door. Monsieur Salonis, you frightened us. What are you doing out at this hour? She says in a whisper, happy to see the old man back from Drancy. I beg your pardon, madame. Your husband asked me to give this to you. He holds out the package, adding, it's for the little one, the one called Marguerite. I'm choked up with happiness and sadness at the same time. Thank you for going to the trouble. You're a good man. If there's anything I can do to return the favor, don't hesitate to give me a call. No, I forgot. That's impossible. Let me know. How can I thank you? I'll give this to my daughter right away. Good night. She locks the door and turns around. Seeing me standing there at the top of the stairs, she comes upstairs shouting, Marguerite, I have a present for you. As if I didn't already know. I grab the package from her hands and hold it close. I go behind the curtains, thinking, last year? He was here, standing in front of my cake with four lit candles on it, smiling at me in the dark. He had scolded Henriette, who, for once, wasn't the favorite. Let her blow out the candles all by herself, he had said, pushing her gently. He had taken me onto his lap in his armchair and given me a kiss for each year of my age, plus one for the next year. Even though he couldn't be here with us this year, he had thought of me. I untie the bow and tear off the paper. Inside is a beautiful round box of candy with flowers on it. I take off the cover of the box, and it's filled with delicious chocolates wrapped in papers of different colors. I'm laughing and crying with joy mixed with pain. And I call to my sister and my mother, come see. The three of us sit down with a photograph of Papa. Mama lights the candle beside Papa's picture and eats a chocolate to Papa's health. My sister does the same. To your health, Papa. I eat mine slowly, savoring them while they go back downstairs to finish the order. I pick up my telephone and call. Hello, Papa. I have good news for you. I got your parcel. Thank you. Today, I'm five years old. In German hands. The sun has just come up. Finally, it's going to be a nice day. With my box of chocolates, I'm in heaven. Mama is emptying our garbage in the garbage cans in the courtyard across from the big gate. And without asking her, I run outside. A man in a gray-green uniform catches me around the waist, laughing. Ah, 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 he says, picking me up off the ground. He's a German. 
There are three of them, and they won't stop laughing. I want to shout, let go of me. I have to go home. But I can't say anything. Dangling there like a fish at the end of a line, I I wriggle. He holds on to me. He's so powerful, and I'm so small. The three soldiers look at me strangely, talking in their gibberish that I don't understand. Suddenly, the one with the sparkling teeth and the mustache like Hitler exclaims, A real little Meitchen, and sets me down on the ground without completely letting go of me. He adds in a soft voice, You see, I am not so bad. It is true, no? I don't wait a second. I run away and find myself clinging to Mama with my head against her belly, whimpering. She picks me up like a sack of laundry and carries me into the house. She climbs the stairs, throws me on my bed, and, completely out of breath, stammers, Do you understand now? I bow my head and say, Yes, Mama. Hello? Hello? When I'm bored, I call Papa, Madame Graziani, or Auntie Sonia. If I don't know their numbers, I just dial zero. It's impossible to hear them, but I know they're listening, and nobody interrupts me. By myself in the bedroom, in the glow from the streetlight, I dial Voltaire 2140. When I run out of news to tell them, I just make things up. With my blue telephone, I say whatever I want, to whomever I want, whenever I want. Saint Bernard School I go to school on Rue Saint Bernard, right beside Sainte Marguerite Church. I never get there late, although I'm the smallest. The teacher is a customer of ours. She wears her mink stole around her neck with a matching hat and always smiles at me. She put a book on my chair so I can reach the desk, which is too high for me. She teaches us the music notes, using the piano to sing Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do. She accompanies us when we sing. I don't always know the right words, and I sing I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle, here is my mouth. We draw, we color, we count on our fingers, and sometimes, if we're good, she gives us pictures. If we're extra good, she gives us treats. Was she ever surprised when she found out I already knew the alphabet and that I could recite the whole thing? She's teaching us to read and write. On my notebook, she wrote, perfect. I was the first one to spell out my name, Marguerite, with little sticks. In front of all the girls, she pinned a merit badge on my jacket. I was so proud. I like it when people admire my badge. When I move, the lovely red ribbon shines. But when I show it to my sister, she laughs at me. It's kindergarten. It doesn't count. 
and to think that I have to stay at the door with her and wait for Georgette to pick us up at noon. When we walk on the sidewalk, everyone notices my badge. When we get back home, I look at myself in the mirror at the store with the mannequins. And truly, it's even more beautiful in the light. My mother will be so happy. I'm so impatient for her to come back. I can't stand it. Finally, I hear her key in the lock. Mama, Mama, look what I won. The Thief Give me back the black pencil you took from me, I say to Yvette. The other girls don't believe me, but I insist. What's going on here? asks the teacher when she walks into the classroom. I tell on Yvette. She's hiding my things in her drawer. Madame Petit opens the drawer and looks at the name on the pencil. She sees that it's mine and gives it to me, along with the eraser I thought I'd lost. Then she hits Yvette's hands with her metal ruler. It must hurt because Yvette winces. Let this be a lesson to you never to steal or lie. As soon as the teacher turns her head away, Yvette mutters, Just you wait. I'll get you for this. You'll be sorry. She really hates me. It's your fault, she shouts. No, I protest. And then she's standing in the corner with her face to the wall for calling me a liar. The next day, her father comes to school with her. That nasty man scares me. Luckily, the teacher is waiting at the door, watching us out of the corner of her eye. You're nothing but a dirty little yid. Riffraff, he says to me. Everyone hears him. Everyone is laughing. The girls are whispering to each other. What does he mean? If only I could disappear. My school bag is heavy with my paint box, my pencil case, my slate, and my chalkboard eraser, my book, and my exercise books. My sister's is even worse. But in spite of that, we have to hold hands when we cross the street. I can't wait until Papa comes back so he can take us to school. The Siren A shrill, wailing sound tears me from sleep. It rises higher and higher, louder and louder, and goes down softer and softer, and then begins again. It makes everything, from floor to ceiling, vibrate. I tremble and snuggle down in my bed. Through the slats of the shutters, the light from the street lamp traces lines on the wall. Henriette's striped silhouette is immobile, frozen in fear. The door opens, and there's Mama, already dressed to go out. Quickly, children, it's an air raid siren. There's not a minute to lose. We have to go down to the shelter. She shakes my sister and throws some clothes at her. Then she dresses me from head to toe. We hurry. I take a doll and my pillow, and Henriette takes her pillow and her school bag full of books. Mama follows us, laden with a bag of food, her knitting, her sewing, a blanket, and a hat box. I'm the first one on the stairs, 
I cross the courtyard to the sidewalk. Madame Hortense is staring up at the sky, counting the black specks flying above, and doesn't notice me. I don't even say hello, because I'm running. Here we are, at the entrance to the shelter. We're all emotional. This is where we hugged Papa the day he was arrested. There are a lot of women and children blocking the entrance to the shelter, but fewer men because of the camps. We take our place in the line, all that rushing just to stand here waiting. More people line up behind us. Everyone is pushing and shoving, and I feel like I'm going to be crushed. Mama stretches her arm out in front of an old gentleman who has gotten between her and me and asks, Would you mind letting my children pass? He motions us to go ahead of him. And what about ours? Can't they get in? Shouts the concierge on my right, adding, Foreigners have all the rights. What is she talking about? I'm French. Move! Move! People shout. Shut up, replies an angry voice. There's no point pushing. A low drone is heard overhead and quiets the crowd. Now we're moving. The fear of air raids pushes us forward. Phew, it's about time. I can't see anything. I can't breathe. I say loudly enough for everyone to hear me. Mama scolds me. You're not a baby. You can see my hands are full. The light goes out just when I'm about to enter the tunnel leading to the basement. Mama, Mama, I cry, blinded. It's all right, sweetie. Do you want to get up on my shoulders? Asks the funny old fellow from before. I climb up as best I can. People complain because we've stopped for a minute. It isn't easy with my doll and my pillow. But now I can see everything, although I have to be careful not to hit my head. Aren't you the furriers? My wife was a client of yours. She was very pleased with your work, he says. I cling more closely to him. I remember the times I rode on Papa's shoulders like this. Closing my eyes, I imagine he's Papa. We walk slowly until we find a place on the ground. In this room, with its stone walls, it's cold on the blanket. We share our meal by candlelight with my benefactor. Henriette reads in the dim light. Mama knits something for Papa. And my thoughts drift to Dronsey, where he's interned. Locked in the toilet. The teacher has explained that we are to go to the bathroom during recess. That if we go during class, disturbing the other students, she'll be angry and will be punished by having to stand in the corner or stay after school. I've never been punished. These are squat toilets, and when we pull the chain to flush, we can easily get our feet wet. I have a system, though. Before pulling the chain, I lift the latch on the door so that I can get out quickly and avoid the problem. I perform this feat, standing on tiptoe. I reach out, grab the end of the chain, give it a quick pull, and run! Ow, ow, ow! 
I've hit my head on the door, and now my feet are wet. I don't understand why the door didn't open. Is anyone there? I call, but no one answers. The bell rings. We have to line up to go back into class. I wish I hadn't gone to the bathroom so late. I'll have to... Silence! I hear the principal's voice say, as if she were speaking right to me. I can't bang on the door without being noticed. So I push with all my might, but it doesn't give. I stand on my tiptoes and try to grip the top of the door with my fingers, but I can't reach. I'm too short. Not another sound. Please, form a line two by two and no talking, orders the principal. She acts like the police, making the students line up with their hands behind their backs, their eyes looking down, without saying a word. She's very strict. And am I supposed to keep quiet? One class goes back in. I have a stomachache. And then another class. I have diarrhea. Finally, the last class moves forward. I've finished. How can I get out of here? I'm shaking all over. I imagine the students walking quietly, and as they move away, I feel a pain growing in my chest, and I'm overcome with fear. There's no one in the yard now. Nobody but me here. Are they going to leave me in this place until school lets out? I put my ear up to the door. I hear the rustling of leaves in the wind. I'm going to have to get out of here, but how? What if I lay on the ground and tried to get under the door? Oh, that's it. I get down on the ground, but I can't get under the door. And now I'm all dirty. It's disgusting. I stink now. Yvette will be right to say that I'm dirty. I hold my nose. I can't stand it. I decide to shout, help, please. I'm locked in the toilet. Help me get out, please. Get me out. All I hear in the huge schoolyard is silence. I'm in prison, but why? Come on, I mustn't give up. I'll sing, I'll sing so loud that I'll be heard at the ends of the earth. Au clair de la lune, mon ami Pierrot, prêtez-moi ta plume pour écrire un mot. Ma chandelle est morte, je n'ai plus de feu. Ouvrez-moi ta porte pour l'amour de Dieu. I really put my heart into singing the last line. Open the door for the love of God, I shout. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Open the door, please. Someone, open the door for the love of God. Poor little girl. There's no use singing your heart out. I listen to the water gurgling from the pipe and the beating of a bird's wings as it soars into the sky. Salty tears are trickling into my mouth, and my nose is running. 
I take my beautiful embroidered handkerchief and wipe my nose. Everyone has abandoned me like Hansel and Gretel in the story, except I'm all alone and I'm not in the forest. I don't need a trail of breadcrumbs to find my way. All I need is for someone to come and let me out. I have been crouching down for so long that my legs are numb and my feet are tingling. If only I were bigger. My tears make me want to pee again, but I don't pull the chain this time. The walls are covered with scribbling and there are brown fingerprints. There's a rusty nail holding torn up pieces of newspaper for wiping yourself. The writing is all blurred. I feel like I'm going to fall in the dark hole of the toilet. I think I hear the big bad wolf coming. He smells my tender flesh. I put my head down between my knees in the middle of all the filth. It's dark. I hear a sound. Someone is coming. I don't dare budge. Which one is she in? It's my teacher. I think it's that one, my friend Colette answers timidly. My friend, I call. Here I am. I'm here. The door opens. I stand up quickly. Madame Petit stretches her arms out to me and holds me as if she were my mama. She takes me back to the classroom and has me sit at my desk. I fall asleep. The bell rings. Madame Petit gathers my things and puts them in my school bag. Mama is waiting at the door of the school. She and my teacher are talking. Henriette starts pestering me with questions. Is it true? They locked you in? Tell me what happened. I don't feel like talking. I wish she'd be quiet. My teacher shakes hands with Mama and gives me a hug. She says to Mama, Dear Madame Elias, I'm terribly sorry, but I don't see any other way. As for you, Marguerite, forget about this incident. Keep on studying during this forced vacation, and good luck. I'll see you soon. We walk away very fast. We go back home without speaking, and then, as if we were starving, we eat half a cake for our snack. I keep trying to figure out why I couldn't get out, and why should I be punished by not being allowed to go to school? Jews can't have telephones or radios anymore, and they can't go to the movies or the park. Mama is going to rent a grandfather will take us to play in the park. For now, the only thing I can do is walk the dog. In the Luxembourg Gardens with Grandpa. It's beautiful out today. I feed the birds with the breadcrumbs I saved in my napkin this morning. The last Grandpa complained that we were too well-dressed in comparison to him. Mama gave him a suit of Papa's to wear, but he gave it back. He won't be coming again. It's too risky. He was so nice to me. The new one she found for us buys us each a balloon with our money. They're floating above our heads. Henriette took the blue one I wanted, 
so mine is yellow. It's true. It's the color of the sun, but it's not the same. Grandpa has me sitting on a chair, but it's not a good place for watching the pigeons pecking on the ground. Take a look at those uniforms, he mutters, pretending to wipe his nose with his handkerchief. German words echo in the icy silence. There's a whole group of soldiers. Hiding his face behind his newspaper, Grandpa says in a low voice, we have to look normal so that they won't notice us. Just walk away quietly as if they weren't there. He picks up his socks and shoes, which he had taken off when we got to the park, and puts them back on. He takes me by the hand and whispers to us, don't look back along the way, you'll soon be back home. We leave the park and cross the street to where they won't see us, and we go into the metro station. We don't say a word all the way to our door. When we get home, Mama pays him and whispers something to him, ignoring us, and then he goes away. He didn't stay as long, but he wanted more money, Mama complains. I tell her what happened, but she doesn't listen to me. She has no patience for it. She sits down at the machine and sews without stopping. If we disturb her, she scolds us and sends us to the kitchen to do our homework. But what's the point if the teacher can't see it? The butt of her cigarette is hanging pitifully from her lips, and she takes another one. She holds the butt to it and inhales deeply to make it light. She says to us, I'm sorry, children but I have to deliver this before the end of the day. I'm running late. You'll have to find something to do because I have to work. I'll see you later, young ladies. Like a locomotive going full speed, she starts sewing again. On the swings with Georgette. Georgette comes every morning and brings fresh bread and milk. She goes through the café and uses our back door to avoid being seen by the concierge, Madame Decuinière. She makes breakfast while Mama works downstairs in the workshop. Then she takes us to the small park on Rue Saint-Bernard, where I used to go to school. She's our maid, but she's a friend. Step on it, Marguerite. Come on, girls, step on it. She's always in a hurry. She's very strong. She can carry me in her arms and swing me in the air. I'm not afraid of her. When I won the merit badge, she shouted for joy, and she made a cake fit for a queen, especially for me. I gobbled it up and got it all over me. She showed me my face in the mirror, and we laughed, and then she washed my face. Nobody dares bother us when she's with us. She mends our things and knits pullovers and skirts without letting us out of her sight. She pushes us both on the swings at one time. There are other adults who try to do that, but they can't do it as fast or as long as she can. When we see other children with their school bags, we shout out in unison, again, higher! But the truth is that we feel like undesirables. The Salvation Army Women's Shelter. 
A few steps from our house, at the corner of Rue Ferderbe, is the Salvation Army Women's Shelter. It's open to people passing by. I know lots of women who live there. As the name indicates, it isn't for men, and there are hardly any there. It's an army that works for God and helps the poor and unfortunate. I sometimes see them outside telling their stories. They are against war and all misery. From our windows over the shop, I can see the right-hand side of their building. It's the tallest building in the neighborhood. Late one afternoon, during the curfew, when everyone is going home, a woman lieutenant comes to get my sister and me in spite of the law. She's one of our customers, a woman officer. I like her hat with red ribbons and her blue uniform. She takes us by the hand, and we go with her to their Christmas party. I'm proud to walk with her, even though I'm particularly afraid because it is dangerous for us to be out at this time. But I feel protected. Mama is right when she says they do good works. There are a lot of children there in a huge room. There are white tablecloths on the tables. After a speech about the birth of baby Jesus, loving thy neighbor and tolerance, the ladies give us each a glass of lemonade. And then we all rush for the loot bags that are filled with treats, candies, cookies, a little chocolate bar for Henriette, and lollipops for me. We sing songs, accompanied by accordion, violin, and piano. I love the last song. Oh, night, how deep your silence when the golden stars sparkle in the heavens. It's so soft and beautiful that it makes me sleepy. We leave with bigger smiles than when we arrived. We're the only ones in the street when the lieutenant takes us back. I'm happy and give her a big hug. She hugs us and rushes away, saying, May God be with you. The Yellow Star Mama has received a package of stars made of yellow fabric, which she sews on her clothes right where I had my merit badge. This one is ugly. What a horrible color. Henriette begs for me to have one, too. I don't have to wear it since I'm only five and a half. But she insists, or else she won't wear one either. If you don't have one, you'll go to prison all by yourself. They'll lock you up in the toilet again. They'll make you stand in the corner, she says, making up things to persuade me. I complain to my mother. Tell her it isn't true. Mama finally notices me and puts down the garment she's holding, saying, I'm sorry, dear, but you know, she's not completely wrong. We have to wear the star for now, until all this is over. It can't last long. Here, this is yours. Go put it away. She hands me the sweater, and I put it on to look at myself in it. It's the law, my sister shouts just to annoy me. If you don't understand, it's because you want to be a baby. She keeps repeating it. What is the law? It's what people have to do. Not me. I don't have to do anything. 
You're not the one who decides, and you're almost as big as I am. Don't be so hard on your little sister, dear. Try to be nice to her. Why don't you read us the news? Taking advantage of the fact that they're busy, I tiptoe out and go down to the shop to look at myself in the three-way mirror. The star is even uglier in the mirror. All this because of the bush. We're not allowed to put the heat on downstairs, and it's colder there. I listen to the sounds of the street. I'd rather be upstairs. I go up to my room and telephone Papa. I hope he'll hear me this time. Hello, Papa. It's me. Henriette is whining. She says they'll point at her at school. I don't care about them because they don't want me. Uh-oh. Here comes my sister. I take off my sweater, which I suddenly hate. She grabs me. What are you doing? I want to be Catholic, I say. Now that we're wearing the star, everyone looks at us. In the street, people stare at us like monkeys at the zoo. People I like turn their backs on me now, except for Helene. She sewed her stars on by herself. She showed us her beautiful new dress that they bought her for the piano recital she'll soon be giving. The three of us are invited to it, and it will be my first time going to a recital. If the Germans come to get us, I'll wear my new dress, she said defiantly. Her mother, suddenly angry, said, Shut up, you little idiot. You don't know what you're saying. I want to stick my tongue out at everyone, but I hate being scolded, so I wait until we get home and then really stick it out.